Welcome to the Team Jive Podcast. Here we talk about all things business culture and teamwork, speaking to managers and directors from all walks of life. Each episode, we dive into the tools and success strategies of top performing professions through a series of thought-provoking questions. Now, here's your host, Abdi Ghalid, a serial entrepreneur, a Norwegian track champion, and the founder of the team connecting this platform, MPETA. Welcome everyone to Team Jive Podcast. I'm your host, Abdi Ghalid, and today's episode, I have the distinct pleasure of introducing Andrea Constantinidis. Did I say that right? Yeah, Constantinidis. As Stanford graduate and the head of global talent acquisition at Shift Technology, she's a passionate team leader who bridges the gap between cultural divides. For those of you who don't know, Shift Technology is an AI-based insurance decision platform. We're very pleased to have you with us today, Andrea. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited. Me too. Um, so the first thing I would like to start with is, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, you, you checked a couple of things off my list already. <laughs> yeah. um, but above and beyond that, you know, I have been a talent acquisition leader or been in the recruiting space now for over 20 years at big companies, at small companies, but a lot of brands that you probably recognize. And I very much enjoy being part of an HR and a people organization focused on talent, finding talent, keeping talent. Um, so that's kind of my professional side of things. Uh, oddly enough, I will not not oddly enough that I'm married, but my, my partner, <laughs> uh, he is also in HR and he does leadership and talent development. So we often joke that when it's time to retire, we can start kind of a, an end-to-end HR process uh, consulting company. Um, oh, wow. Above and beyond that, we've got two kids, two daughters who are getting ready to start high school and one in middle school who keep us busy. Uh, we wow. live in Raleigh, North Carolina near our family, and we have lived uh, in six different cities across the U.S. in our time together. So um, gone bi-coastal twice. Wow. So um, I just want to go back a little bit. Um, you said some companies I would recognize. Please tell us what companies have you worked at before? Sure. Accenture. Uh-huh. Facebook, aka now Meta, yeah. and uh, Align, which is the company that does Invisalign. So that those are the three biggies. And then I've worked at two smaller companies, PagerDuty, uh, that went public while I was there, and then another company focused on digital learning called Udacity before I came to Shift. So you have a great experience of, from so different uh, areas in in the in the business, consulting, technology, uh, you name it. I love this. Um, there's one thing I, I always ask my guests, um, which is, what is the first job or project that you got paid for before you went to high school? Yeah. So I grew up in a kind of a small to medium-sized town in Virginia. Um, yeah. And I, my first job was working for the Parks and Rec Department, scorekeeping for youth baseball and softball and basketball. So it was, it was really fun. And how old were you? I was 15. 15. All right. So did that uh, inspire you to become an athlete yourself? <laughs> well, I had, I had always grown up doing sports, some um, gymnastics, swimming, uh, and then later field hockey. But I, growing up in the South, you are automatically, I think, a sports fan of some yeah. sort. So it was, but it was just a fun way to kind of be outside, be around kids. They paid 12 bucks an hour, which back then was like unheard wow. of. So at, it at was 15. great. Yeah. Wow. So 
growing up and now being in the position you are and, and have the tremendous experience you've had um, so far, what, what do you think are the three most important events or decisions that got you to where you are today? Yeah. I mean, there were many as a youth, you know, picking where I went to college was probably one of the biggest ones that I think had a tremendous impact on my life. But I thought for the purposes of today, I'd focus on three more professional type um, decisions. So I started working at Accenture right out of college and consulting. Mm -hmm. And just about a year after being there, my father passed away. And that was something, you know, that, that just kind of caused me to take inventory of what I wanted to be doing and who I wanted to work with. And, mm -hmm. you know, Accenture still checked that box. I love them as an organization, yeah. but the idea of traveling or not being able to reliably tell my mom when I was going to be somewhere so that we could spend time together, that consulting yeah. lifestyle kind of lost a little bit of its uh, shine. Mm -hmm. So I was able to make the move to into more closer to the family. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. And so um, big companies like that and Accenture would take alumni back to the universities to help do career fairs or interviews. Yeah. So I had done that and I was like, it was pretty fun. Mm -hmm. And so I happened to run into the recruiting lead one day in the office and just mm -hmm. kind of started to inquire about it. She goes, oh, I have an open role right now. So, you know, in about a week, I was like, what have I got to lose? I'll give it a try. I'll move over into recruiting. And mm -hmm. I have not looked back. It has just been such a, a no. clear fit for me. So taking a little bit of a risk there was um, really paid off for me. So I ended up spending 15 years at Accenture, uh, which nowadays feels practically unheard of to stay at a company that long. So 15 years in the talent acquisition yep. department. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. So I, um, I spent a lot of that time in campus recruiting. I think I've been to 47 different universities before I wrapped up. Wow. Uh, and then in my final stages, I transitioned into a global role focused on diversity recruiting. Mm -hmm. And that was what kind of led me to uh, take a chance again. And this time leaving Accenture to move to Facebook, move my family across the country for, you know, a, a job at a high tech company mm -hmm. uh, focused again on diversity recruiting the month after after Google first released their diversity numbers. So, you know, kind of dust the cobwebs off and remember back in the day when this was like a big deal yeah. and yeah. it was getting a ton of press and attention. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that was another one because that was really taking, going from a very well-established global brand into, you know, one of the most um, scrutinized industries, one of the hottest brand names with a lot of attention on it for good and bad, mm. um, and, and really stepping into kind of that Silicon Valley high-tech space. Um, but what I found that I really loved there was the pace with which things moved and the ability to just get stuff done, mm. to work collaboratively, um, breaking down silos. So mm. uh, that was really great. And so that then led me to kind of my final event. Yeah. Um, when it was time to leave Facebook, I had the opportunity to work with someone I had worked with over a decade before back at Accenture, who was now at a startup company that was 100 people at the time called PagerDuty. Um, you know, I, I kind of understood the technology, um, but she said she needed somebody to look after HR. It's like, uh, I'm a recruiter. I've been a recruiter. Uh, I've done a lot around employee relations work. And with diversity, there's there's a lot of overlap between people programs and recruiting. Yep. She said, that's fine. Like, you'll be great. 
So that was a little bit of a scary one to move from, you know, again, Accenture and Facebook, these huge companies that everybody knows to tiny yeah. little pager duty, a hundred people in a role that I had never done before. Um, but that to me That's really- a big stuff, risk, right? Yeah. It felt that way at the time, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it probably had the biggest payoff for me because what that really let me do was wear so many different hats and in a small organization, getting exposure to things that I had only kind of been the, the end recipient of. So yeah. I was part of the planning process and workforce planning. I was working directly with the FPNA team. I was working directly with the CEO and the CTO on all things around talent and people and having conversations with managers and coaching and culture. Like, so, so everything was wrapped up really nicely. And it, to me, it was um, something that I've looked for in each of my roles going forward is mm -hmm. just that tight connection across the entire people organization, yeah. because, you know, once you bring them in, you don't want to keep bringing in the same kind of, you know, like you, you need to kind of learn and you need to be part of that fabric for the organization. So, so all the way from onboarding to, well, they become successful in, in a sense, right? Absolutely. And even after they exit, right? There's, yeah. there's still advocates for the organization. Like, like kind of alumni network, right? Be, be mm -hmm. able to recommend other colleagues that you had a great experience there. Uh, for those of us who don't know, what is uh, FPN? I think you said FPN. FPNA, yes. Financial right. Planning and Accounting. So those are the people who are, you know, running the numbers in the back, forecasting based on sales, based on revenue, based on your headcount, your expenditures, um, you know, how many people you can hire and which organizations that need focus, new products that you're developing. So, um it was kind of getting a chance to peek under the hood, so to speak, of how a business really operates. And shift, how many employees are you at this moment? We are just shy of 500. So still a startup feeling, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, and especially because the shift is headquartered in France and that was really where it was born. Yes. So there's less than a hundred, there's right around a hundred people in the U.S. now. Um, mm -hmm. So it still definitely has that vibe of high growth. Uh, they actually don't call it a startup. They call it a scale up, which I love because we're in that growth phase. We're not quite in that like infancy stage, but. You kind of pass that area of uh, product market fit. You know who your customers are, you know what to do and. It's, it's just growing at this point. Uh, we'll come back to that a little bit later. Uh, but sure. I want to pick up on one thing. Um, uh, you mentioned, I think, before high school, uh, the, the sports you were involved in. And I feel like you were kind of a team player in terms of, I, I don't want to travel all the time. I would like to be part of close to my family. In, in my head, that's a team player in life. Uh, uh, but, it, but in business, um, what do you think that terms actually means from your point yeah. of view? Yeah, I mean, quite honestly, it's a lot of the same things that it means to being on a sports team. You know, it's somebody that you can really develop trust in, who supports you through the good and the bad. Yeah. Someone who, when you're having a bad day or, you know, as a, as a working mom and a dual working family, you know, there are times I got to leave to go pick up a kid and I need somebody to step in to help do an interview or, mm. or take a meeting and still be able to kind of advocate for me. Yeah. Um, and somebody who's willing to do that and, and chip in and help. Um, but also someone who's willing to challenge you, right? Ask the hard questions, be the devil's advocate or whatever you want to call it to make sure you're really thinking through all the angles. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, it, it's essentially somebody who I find works with me and makes me better. I love that. And uh, since you've been in both major companies, but also startups and, and part of scale up now, 
Um, is there a difference? Is there a difference associated with the word team player, like big companies, small companies, mid-sized companies? Or is it all the same? I feel like, because in some companies, when it's bigger, maybe you have some more time to deliver projects and, and things in that nature. But when you're in small companies or scale-ups, the, the pace is so fast that you need people around you to make you, help you to get things done pretty quick. Yeah, that, that's, that's actually a pretty, pretty good way that you said that, Abdi. I mean, the bigger companies, the, the same qualities still matter. Right. Yeah. And even if you're a big company, the ones that I have worked for are not yeah. slow. Like, you know, Facebook is not know a that, slow right? place. <laughs> Accenture is not a place where they just sit around and eat bonbons all day kind of thing. Yeah. So, so there's still a little bit of that sense of urgency and, and the projects and the work that you're doing on with a, a significant impact. So I, I think I see a lot more continuity between yeah. what it means to be a team player than perhaps people might expect. Right. And that brings me to the next thing, like team player, you're part of a environment and uh, that team, the department, the company. Uh, so what do you think is the single most important factor behind a positive company culture? All right. This one, you know, and I know that I've done work in diversity, but this yeah. is why I'm so passionate about it. It's the idea of inclusion. And I know that word gets used a lot. So let me define what it means to me. It means that no matter what part of the organization you are, no matter what level you may be, whether you know it's week one or you're the CEO um, and any and everything in between, that your opinion is not only respected, but it's expected, right? They want you to have a perspective that is shared at the table. You, your voice is heard. You are seen for the human that you are, not just a cog in the wheel. Um, and that you are, your opinions are valued, right? Um, and then you may not get your way every time, but mm. just being in a team and an organization where you feel like you belong right and i think there's a fine line between a very similar feel between inclusion and belonging right yeah. it's, it's being there it's it's being valued it's feeling like you're part of that team so i, I feel like I've, I've been part of a corporate world and then now i'm part of a startup um but we all have this sense of idea of what um a positive company because you should be right there's a mission statement there's a vision there's uh, different like uh, wikipedia's internally company what to do what not to do how to act but um are there some ways or some methods that you can say will bring about um a positive culture is it enforcing it from day one like once you onboard new employee uh, say hey this is how my team works maybe a little bit different from where you came from or or tell me how how your culture was there and let's see if that makes sense to what we do here we're a smaller company we're a smaller team but is there like a a way of telling yeah. the employees this is how we should be acting to be part of the positive culture or is there just you, you gotta feel you gotta feel it while you're in the company yeah, um, I would actually say it starts from day one in the recruiting process. Okay. How, how the recruiting team interacts with candidates 
Mm. Um, the way that they communicate, the vibe that they give off in the interviews, the way that they talk to the candidates live, handle the process, mm. I think is is kind of step one, right? I think that really gives a sense for what the company values in mm. terms of their culture. Hopefully the questions in the interview process also feel the same. You know, yep. you're you're spending time not only to learn like how many widgets did you build or how many dollars did you save, yep. but how did you work with the team when you did that? And how did you overcome obstacles? And so I think when companies can really distill their culture into those values, mm. kind of implanting those as part of the recruiting process is a great first step. So that by the time employee shows up on day one, yeah. they already know what you're about, right? They already know who you are and hopefully their values align with the values of the organization, right? If, if not, your recruiting team is not doing an awesome job and that's something they should focus on. Um, so, so can but, I can I say that if if there's a if there's something wrong with the culture, we we should blame on the recruiting process. <laughs> <laughs> Let's call it the uh, what's the phrase the canary in the coal mine, right? right. Um, they, they can they can tend to give you early signal about how an organization operates and, yeah. and how the teams interact. Um, so pay attention to that stuff as well. But you know, I think. There has long been, particularly in high tech and small and Silicon Valley companies, this idea of culture fit, which I think realistically has turned out to be, this is somebody I'd want to grab a beer with, or they're like me and I feel comfortable hanging out with them. And that's not really what culture is, right? Culture is a set of behaviors and kind of group um what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of like group agreements for how people are going to interact and the way they make decisions. Mm. And so you really want people who can add to the culture, who kind of, again, feel that same connection with the way that your organization is currently going about their work to be mm -hmm. able to, to really add to it. And, and that so perfect that you brought up that the connection piece. Um, what role does connectedness play in team member well-being? Oh my God, like the hugest. I'm sure everybody listening to this has heard the, you know, people don't leave companies, they leave managers or they leave teams, <laughs> right? I mean, there's a new study every time that shows you 60, 70% of the reason why employee leaves the managers. So please help us. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and then there's the, the Google study that talks about their most high performing teams are those with the greatest degree of psychological safety. So yeah. that feeling of connectedness and yeah. belonging is, is critical to an organization from how you live the culture down to how um, productive and excited your employees are to come to work every day. So it, it's really important and it's really hard. Um, I have been, I joke, I've been working virtually since 2007, right? Before it yeah. was cool. Mm -hmm. So I've had a little bit of a head start on most people pre-pandemic and yeah. how, how to try to build those connections through a screen and through 24 different time zones that you may be working on. Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard, but it's doable. And I think people are, are getting better at it. But um, really, the managers and the teammates embodying those values and taking this type of thing seriously to build those connections mm. is what makes the biggest impact. But again, how do you enforce that? Is there a way to say this is the, this is the method of enforcing connectedness? Or, or is it going back again um, when you're in the interview process, when you're with your team early stages that you, you feel that this is a part of it? Because some people can quit after three months or six months when they feel like this is not something for them, right? It's, it's different yeah. from what they uh, envision. 
but how do you kind of inform enforce that connectedness or or sense of belonging because those i feel like that's everything we talk about these days how how do you create inclusion how do you create a belongingness and all these are big words but is there a method of that so every employee knows kind of what to do in terms of creating that environment yeah and I think um, I think many times those of us in the HR world come across as the culture police or the whatever police, and and I hope that most people realize that HR doesn't want to do that. HR wants to be a place where they're providing coaching and mentoring and inspiring people to do more. And so, yeah. you know, I think that to me, the managers play the most pivotal role. And so, for when you when you talk about the idea of enforcing, I I think maybe codifying it is maybe mm-hmm. a better word, right? Mm-hmm. Really setting a set of expectations of how, as a leader, yeah. you're expected to operate. You know, is it mm-hmm. with transparency? Is it with um, stakeholder engagement? Is it focusing on how you you best interact with the customers and keeping them top of mind? You know, like really getting that level of that layer of management really comfortable with what it means and being able to model the behavior. And then people, people pick it up, right? Um, it's, it's a lot like being a parent, right? You can only say so many times, you know, like, don't touch the hot stove or clean up your room or do your homework. But if you're trying to do those same things yourself, people kind of just naturally pick it up and they see like, this is important to us as an organization. And I really see how so-and-so acted with transparency. I want to reciprocate that. And I want to build a culture that really supports that. So, you know, hopefully it comes from that place of aspiration and inspiration versus like, you must do these three things to check (laughs) the culture box and to to be part of our team. Yeah. Once you come with those, you must do then that's when you have a higher turnover pretty much. But, um, I, I think what you're saying there is like being a role model. Um, mm-hmm. It's extremely important to like, not just for the managers to be your role model, or the CEO, the leadership, but also the team members to, uh, to each other, be a role model and transparency and have an open space where you can actually talk about anything or everything and ask for feedback both ways. Yes. Is that correct or? Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Um, so now shift technology, 100 people, close to 100 people in the US and the rest in France or spread around in Europe? They're, they're spread around. A lot of them are in France, but we're all around the world. Awesome. And from your perspective on global talent acquisition, what are some of the key challenges associated with bringing international teams together? That must be very tough. It is. Um, I mean, time zones alone are, are a challenge to deal with. But, yeah. you know, I have tried to approach getting teams together with that. It's going to it's going to be hard for some of us some of the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe we alternate weeks who takes the late call or the early call or trying to make sure that people feel like, oh my God, you know, I'm not the only one doing the call at nine o'clock every night, <laughs> but my, my peers are getting up at 6 a.m. to make something so that I can, I can work in my daytime hours. So that's, you know, logistics aside, yeah. that's one that's important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but second is really setting aside time intentionally to make those connections like we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have the opportunity in a virtual environment and a distributed workforce to chat while you're grabbing coffee, right? Or to to do those sorts of things. So mm. you just got to set aside the time to do it in your team meetings. So mm. in, in my team meetings, I ask a question at the beginning of every meeting. Some of them are silly. Some of them are serious. Um, mm. Interestingly, 
I asked my team what their first job was, much like (laughs) you did for me. Um, And starting with those sort of questions that have a a very low, um, people don't have to really kind of put their vulnerable selves out there with a question like that. What was your favorite subject in school? You know, things that help you to learn, but they're not giving away a lot of personal details until Mm. you've established that relationship. Then you can start having harder conversations like, who has most inspired you and why, or what was one of your yeah. biggest challenges that you faced and how did you overcome it kind of thing. Um, too heavy to begin with, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're like favorite ice cream flavor, or yeah. what's the best Netflix show you watched during quarantine. Um, but, it, but it helps to build those connections and just kind of have a little bit of sense of fun. Uh, and then I think, especially in the talent space, the talent market, is so different country to country and mm. even functional area to functional area. So hiring a data scientist in France is very different than hiring one in the US. Um, so we also try to spend some time on our team calls just learning from each other and having people share what their challenges are, what their successes are, mm. and learning from each other uh, and understand starting to understand some of the cultural nuance between them. Like, oh, well, this is why in France this is we have this type of program and, and maybe why we don't have it in the US. Um, so those are a couple of things kind of right, right out of the gate as a team. Um, and then with my one-on-ones, I tried to like week one, when I started with the team or somebody new starts, I send out this little template that I kind of borrowed from an organization called 15.5 and it's called your best self template. And it's just talking about what are those things that are important to you? What motivates you? How do you like to receive recognition? How do you like to receive feedback? What are the the three things that would make you leave? Um, It's kind of a a shortcut cheat sheet to being able to to get some of those things done pretty quickly. I fill it out and I share it with my team when I share them the blank one so Mm -hmm. that they can you know, feel a sense of connection, like, oh, Andrea was vulnerable enough to share this information with me. Um, and so that comes in handy as well, because then in the, in the team meetings or when new projects come up, it gives us the opportunity, it gives me the opportunity to kind of help push people together and to try new things, to stretch their their limits um, and reach some of their goals in a way where maybe they're getting to work with a different group than they would day to day. I love that a lot. It's It's what we kind of discussed off air, but humanizing yourself, right? And and making sure there's a, yeah, I am a person first uh, before the task that I have to do. And I would love to get to know you and, and find chemistry in, in some capacity before we start doing our task. So I, I love that. That's, that's how you create a connectedness. And um, that kind of brings me to the next thing we, which you already a little bit touched upon is, um, what do you feel are the most effective strategies for promoting cross-cultural understanding and camaraderie? Yeah, I I mean, just to kind of retouch on a couple of the points I just made, I think a lot of it is sharing. And Mm -hmm. I think I've been fortunate enough that the teams that I have worked with are really intellectually curious people anyways. And so they want to learn, you know, oh, well, tell me how, how you've done this or how is it different in that country or help me understand the market in a different way. So it's been really easy. I've been very fortunate to work with amazing teams that Mm. that kind of is just second nature. Um, But I think for me as a, as a leader, it's making sure to carve out that time to allow those things to happen and not just yeah. jumping right into business and, you know, talking about X, Y, and Z numbers or things that we're doing it mm. to be able to help to support those conversations mm. in a way that, that matters. And then giving people the opportunity, you know, shadow, shadow someone else. Why not? Like just spend uh, a day and work with them. Yeah. So we would um, actually have somebody right now 
who is listening in on interviews as mm-hmm. as people are doing them in different countries and for different teams. Mm-hmm. So it's giving her a better sense of each recruiter's style, the type of interviews that they do, the types of candidates that are good versus bad in different bad isn't perfect, but best versus the maybe not quite the right fits um, in each country and starting to understand some of the the nuance of of how you might approach an interview in Germany differently than you would approach an interview in Brazil. So I'll be able to sit uh, an interview with a potential colleague in France and another colleague in in Germany and one in the U.S. Wow, that is, that's great learning. I like to think so. Yeah, it is. So what is the feedback? How long have you been doing that part? Um, she, her in particular, she's been doing this for just a, a couple of months now. Um, and so far, so good. But I've done it in other teams, uh, particularly when new recruiters are onboarding. Yeah. You, know, you talked a little bit about the, the idea of how we enable people to live the culture. Mm. This is another example is of seeing of people do it, right? Like yeah. you can see it, you can do it and, and really start to model that behavior. So... Um, you're a perfect company in terms of remote work. Um, do you guys have physical office? We do. So we have some people who do hybrid and most people work fully remote. Mm. So in, in in the wake of the widespread remote work and hybrid work models, do you feel that workplace belonging has decreased? I feel like we talked about it already, but do you think belonging is decreasing if, because of hybrid work and remote work or? Yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's just changed. Right. Um, and, and to me, one of the biggest differences, and you actually touched on it just a second ago, Abdi, is getting yeah. to know people as humans. Yeah. Like, you see my house. You've, you know, yeah. I told my kids to stay out today, but, you know, like, occasionally <laughs> my teammates see my kids or cats go walking across the screen. You know, you, you get to know people at a different in a different way than you did when you were in the office together. And, you know, while the FaceTime and the ability to interact in three dimensions is amazing. Um, You just have to think about how to do it differently and you're learning different parts about people um, and and taking the time to do that. Mm. So I I don't know that it's gotten worse, but I just think people need to kind of reframe how Mm. to think about it in this environment. And people is that, does it start from management level or where, where should it start? Yeah, every, everywhere. I think if you if you don't have leaders who model the behaviors and really fully believe in what you're trying to do as a an organization to enable a, a hybrid or a remote work, it's, yeah. it's always going to fall flat because they're not going to have the trust there. You know, I, I've seen plenty of leaders who are um, really demanding people to come back into the office because they want to make sure that they're doing their work. And you know, my resp- my mental response to this is. Well, how come you don't trust your employees enough to do their work <laughs> at home? You know, like, why is it that you have to be sitting there over their shoulder to do it? And, you know, to, to me, that that really comes back to that culture question. And, and yeah. how do you help to to enable and empower people to do the best work in the timeframes that they need to? Mm. You know, we're, we're all we're all humans. We've got different things that we need to take care of during the day. And mm. and I think that working remotely has kind of changed the way people need to think about success. And it's not ours, it's output and impact. Mm. I, I love that. And I think you mentioned 15 five. Um, are there other tools or methods that you use to facilitate a more cohesive team? I've, we've touched upon a lot of different areas of this. Yeah. Um, I, oh, one other thing. This is another favorite that I learned. Um, Go ahead. 
instead of asking people how they do, you know, how are you doing? Yeah. Ask them what emoji they are today. Because emojis give you so many more ranges of what fine is, right? Or frustrated or, yeah. uh, and it, it's kind of a fun, again, low barrier to injury way to be like, yeah. today was a crappy day, or actually I've had an amazing day and, you know, the sun is shining and uh, things are working out amazingly. Um, but that can be kind of a, another fun way to just help to engage people and, and get under that layer of like, I'm fine. Let's just kind of move on with things and, and deepen your connection with them. I might steal that from you if it's okay. Like in my next guest, I'll, I'll ask them. So, what what emoji are you today? <laughs> <laughs> Just start. Uh, but yeah. So, how do you create? What tools do you use or methods uh, do you use? Uh, yeah, I mean. I, I'm kind of low tech here. Other than that 15.5 thing, I, yep. I kind of just have pieced stuff together over the years. So I've got a Google, a shared Google Doc with the people on my team. So we can put the agenda things in there and we can ask questions. And, mm. um, you know, I just kind of keep running lists that way. I wish I had a, a fancier thing to, to share and, and sell to everybody and I could be a millionaire. But, <laughs> you know, it just kind of is, it's what I found that I'm comfortable with. And I feel like with my teams, it's things that have, worked well in the past or resonate well with them that I just kind of continue to try out along the way. So my last question is you've worked in, again, major companies, small companies, scale up. So is there a difference in creating more cohesive team? Um, I think with, with smaller companies, I think there is, because there are, let me back up, like the Accentures, the Facebooks, you go through multiple weeks of onboarding, mm. right? Where you're meeting different teams, you're hearing from different leaders, you're, you've got management and leadership training that, that really reinforce a lot of those behaviors and, and cultural expectations. Mm -hmm. In smaller companies, those aren't quite, you know, handled in the same way. Yeah. And so there's a little bit more responsibility that falls on the team and the team leaders to help mm. really live those and bring them to life. So I think to me, that's the, maybe one of the differences, at least in my experience, is you got to kind of be a little bit more thoughtful and intentional in the smaller companies to take the time to do those things, say why you do them, do it with transparency so that the rest of your team really can understand and follow why you're doing it. Because um, you don't have all those resources, you know, you don't have 325,000 other people to mm. help kind of live that every day. That was it. Uh, thank you very much for, uh, for spending some time with us today and sharing valuable insight. Really appreciate that, uh, Andrea. Um, thank you so much for inviting me and including me. This has been really fun. Definitely.